Uh, I'm Tyson. Uh, I'm reading from Revelations chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. I don't have one of the church Bibles with me, so I can't tell you the page. Uh, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation, says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich, I've become wealthy and need nothing, and you don't know that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, and white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be committed and repent. Listen, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and have dinner with him and he with me. The victor, I will give him the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also won the victory and sat down with my father on his throne. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening, my name's Ed. I'm a student minister here. Let's pray as we turn to God's word. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Our Father God, our desire is to listen to the Lord Jesus. So please open our ears to understand what he says. So please open our minds and to become more like him. So please transform our lives now by your word. In Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen. I wonder how different your day would be without Jesus. Well, let's not think about today because today's Sunday, so it's, it's fairly obvious. But what about tomorrow? What about Monday? How different would your Monday be without Jesus? Would you find yourself feeling spiritually malnourished without some time in his word? Do you have plans to spend some time talking to him in prayer? Well, what is going to be the secret of you functioning at your best tomorrow? Is it going to be that you get a really good night's sleep tonight? A good breakfast, a bit of exercise in the morning? Maybe it's coffee. Or is it that everything you do, you do in the name and for the glory of Jesus your King? How are you going to overcome the temptations that you're going to face tomorrow? Temptations to be self-centered. Temptations to be greedy. Temptations to, to gossip. Uh, to look at things that you should not look at. You know, I'm pretty confident that you can not die tomorrow without Jesus. I think you can do that. Uh, but Jesus seems to think that there's no way that you could truly live tomorrow without him. The Church of Laodicea was a collection of self-sufficient, 
self-satisfied and purposeless Christians who by their, their own self-focus had closed the door on Jesus and they had become useless to him. Read with me Jesus' scathing words, I guess, in verse 15. Jesus says, I know your works, Laodicea, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. You know, it's been said that if one of Jesus' seven letters to the churches in Revelation could be most simply and easily applied to the Western church, that it would be the letter to Laodicea. And the scary thing is, it's the harshest letter of them all. And they're really harsh words. They're going to be difficult to hear. But they're harsh words spoken from a fiercely jealous heart. Have a read with me of verse 19. Jesus says, As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. Jesus craves our commitment to him. Jesus longs to do life with us. And that's our big idea tonight, that Jesus rebukes self-sufficient Christianity and he invites us to wholehearted commitment and doing life with him. Well, there's a basic structure to each one of these letters. Uh, We've read through two of them already. Tonight is our last look at the letter to Laodicea. Basically, the structure goes like this. Uh, Jesus begins by praising the church that he's writing to for some sort of praiseworthy attribute. Uh, then he issues a, a sorry. Then he issues a rebuke for areas where they're compromising in their commitment to him. Uh, then he he calls them to repent and return to him. And finally, he finishes each letter with a wonderful life-giving promise. And that's the That's the structure we're going to follow tonight as we see what Jesus has to say to us through his letter to Laodicea. So let's begin by looking at what Jesus praises the Laodicean church for. Why don't you just take a little moment to yourself and just look at the start of the letter. Have a look at Jesus' praise for his church in Laodicea. Appears the church... Don't need any praise from Jesus, do they? They actually think that they don't need anything at all. Look at verse 17. Because you say, I'm rich, I've become wealthy, we need nothing. Let me share with you what we do know about the city of Laodicea. Uh, It was in the province, situated in the province of Asia, uh, which is modern day Turkey. It was a central. It was a, a, loca- a city located strategically in the middle of three key trading routes, and there's three things that this city was renowned for. It was a wealthy banking center. It was renowned for its textiles, famous for for black woolen carpets and beautiful clothes, and it was renowned for. It had a w- renowned world class medical school, famous for its eye and ear treatments. Unfortunately, like is often the case with churches, the church had began to become a product of its society more than being a new creation in Christ. So here we have it. 
Laodicea, a church of wealthy, well-dressed, health-conscious individuals. Does that sound familiar, Church by the Bridge? Oh, none of these things are necessarily bad, are they? Unless we start thinking like the Laodiceans did. You see, they thought that because they had these things, they were self-satisfied. They thought they had all they need. They thought wealth, clothing, health was the end goal. And they were utterly mistaken. That's not the end goal of life. We were created by God to live for Him. He is our end goal. So let's turn and see what the originator of God's creation, Jesus himself, let's see what he has to say to a church like this. His rebuke. Jesus rebukes the church in Laodicea for their self-sufficiency and uselessness. Let's read verse 15 once more. I know your works, Laodicea. I know that you are neither hot, uh, cold nor hot. You know, I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. The, church of Laodicea, uh, the city of Laodicea sorry, was an almost entirely independent city. Uh, it lay in the, uh, the Lycus Valley, and it was almost entirely independent apart from its water supply. It was too far away from the cool mountain water, uh, in, in the distance, uh, around 10 miles away, or the, uh, the hot springs of Hierapolis. And so what did Laodicea have to do? They had to pipe their water in through an aqueduct. And there were two well-documented things that we know about Laodicean water. One, it was filled with sediment. And two, by the time it arrived in Laodicea, it arrived lukewarm. Water was a significant feature of life in Laodicea. Uh, water mattered there, uh, a bit like the weather sort of matters for us here in Sydney. And so Jesus picks up on this analogy of lukewarm water. And he uses it not so much to address the temperament of his church's heart towards him. It wasn't that they were being necessarily warm-hearted or cold-hearted, because if you look, or, or if you recall with me, Jesus says... I wish that you were cold or hot. It's not that Jesus wanted them to be cold or hot. He's talking more about the purpose, their purpose, their use. For What is the use of hot water? It's very useful. It's useful for cleansing. It's comforting and soothing to drink. We can be like that, can't we? For Jesus, cleansing comforting, soothing. What about cold water? Refreshing, life-giving, satisfying. We can be that for Jesus, can't we? But what about lukewarm water? It's useless. It's purposeless. You just let it run down the tap while you wait for the hot water to arrive or the cold water to come through. Jesus says that lukewarm water is not only useless, it's nauseating. And Jesus' declaration through his words here tonight is that he will not tolerate lukewarm Christianity. More than that, he's going to vomit it out of his mouth. It's worth asking, though, isn't it, if, if we're talking about what sort of use or purpose we can have for Jesus, it's worth asking, how useful are you being 
to Jesus. Uh, how refreshingly cool and satisfying are you being to him, holding out his words of life? Uh, how hot and, and cleansing and, and comforting are you being to his, his children through holding out that warm, comforting gospel? You know, Christianity, it's, it's never actually been about us, is it? It's always about Jesus. And so we've got to ask ourselves that question, how useful are we using, how much are we using our lives to serve him? Uh, my wife Bridget and I, we're, we're involved in the Christian Explored ministry. Uh, and, and we're looking for people who, we're looking for two or three people from each congregation in our church who might be able to partner with us in praying for our course and also for the guests. And we thought the logical outworking of that is that after praying for these people, perhaps those prayer partners could become people who, who would welcome uh, people who are discovering the Christian faith into a church congregation, help them take the next steps in their Christian faith. And so I, I, I got excited by this. I, I wrote to the church staff and, and asked them to send me a list of people whom I could possibly approach. So they sent me a list of around about 20, maybe even 30 people and it was the same old people. Same people who are in there running our kids' church, who are playing in our bands, serving at community lunches, leading our connect groups, working on the sound desk. It was those people again. Uh, and so I didn't approach them. Uh, they're already trying so hard to be purifyingly warm for Jesus, trying to be purposely hot for him, how can I come and ask them to, to try and be cold at the same time? Try and hold out the refreshing gospel to people who are newly discovering the faith. They'll just end up feeling lukewarm. And we have that here at Church by the Bridge, don't we? And we have people who are trying to be hot and trying to be cold for Jesus all at the same time. And it's around this time of the year that they start feeling lukewarm, tired. And so what should we do? Well, we should, we should go to them and say, you know what, I see that you are really good at serving in Connect Group. You're really wonderful at greeting. Let me free you up from, from the sound desk. Or, or let me free you up from, from doing supper so that you can be hot for Jesus and I'll be cool and refreshing over here. Instead, what do we do? We often sit back and look at them and say, gee, they look stressed, really stressed. Let's, let's approach them and, and ask them to take some of that stress from them, to free them, to be what they can be for Jesus. Perhaps you could ask Paul, Simon, Dan, Steph, where you can help and where you can be useful for your king this week or in the, in the months, weeks and months to come. Wouldn't it be lovely if when they open up their email inboxes, rather than, uh, than, than their inboxes being filled with complaints about the service that, we're giving, that, that they're giving us, wouldn't it be lovely if they open it up and found a whole bunch of requests of people eager to serve their king? Uh, if you love people, if you're happy to, to meet new people, I would love you to partner with us in Christianity Explored. Use your next steps card to let me know that you would like to partner with us. That would be great. What about preparing yourself, training yourself to be useful in kids' ministry? Uh, we always have needs 
in our creche and in our children's, ch- our children's church, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Tuesday morning. Oh, they desperately need people there. And here's the, here's the secret you need to know. No one is a kid person. Everybody's child just wants their mum and dad. They don't want you and they don't want me. And those people who you look at and they just look so wonderful, well, they're just the ones who've been through the tears and been vomited on and, and they've just kept trying. Perhaps that's an area that you could just be so, so useful to your king. Well, how usefully hot or cold are you for Jesus? Jesus harshly rebukes self-sufficient, self-satisfied consumer Christianity. Read his words with me in verse 17. Because you say, I'm rich, I've become wealthy and need nothing. But you don't know how bad off you are, Laodicea. You are wretched, you are pitiful, you are poor, you are blind and naked. What a contrast in perspective. This Jesus, who perhaps you coming and singing to here on a Sunday night, the Jesus whose cross you wear around your neck. Maybe you've even got a bumper sticker with his name on the back of your car. If you are living a purposeless, useless Christian life, Jesus says, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. And they are very, very difficult words to hear, aren't they? They hurt. They're almost nasty. Yet they come from a heart that is just fiercely jealous for your committed love. Jesus issues a call to repent and return because he wants your heart. Let's turn our attention to Jesus' call to repent and return. Jesus rebukes us, friends, because he loves us. Let's look at verse 18. I advise you, says Jesus, I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be truly rich. White clothes, righteousness, so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not exposed. An ointment to spread on your eyes so that you can see, truly see. Jesus respects the free will that he gave you and me. Jesus, he really, really wants your heart. But he will never force you to give him your heart. Uh, Jesus, he, he lets you choose. And so what did, that, what did the start of that verse say? It said, I advise you, I counsel you. He could have commanded you, but he advises. It's the first sense we get of Jesus' tenderness in this letter. And if that's a sense, well, then the next verse, the very next verse, is just a pure declaration of Jesus' love for you and me. Verse 19, he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. Because Jesus loves you, that he's willing to speak such strong words to you. You know, when you became a Christian, you gave Jesus your heart. Your heart has become his throne. And he will not let anyone else sit on that throne. He will compete for it because it belongs to him. And it's not just for his glory, it's for your good as well. Uh, who else would you want 
sitting on the throne of your life than, read the top where Jesus introduces himself, the amen, he says, the last word, the faithful and true witness, a faithful and true guide, that's who you want. The originator, the beginning of God's creation. Gee, that's who you want on the throne of your life, isn't it? That's who you want ruling over you. So because he loves you, he rebukes you. And what does he advise you to do? Halfway through verse 19, let's see. He advises, be committed. Be committed and repent. Now I'm anticipating probably one of two responses to the command, be committed. Uh, Perhaps you're like the the person who feels they've been caught red-handed. Perhaps you're thinking, you know what, Jesus, you're right. Um, I've been a consumer of Christianity and I've been purposeless. I've been useless for you. I've been sitting back just waiting for others to give to me and I need to repent of that and I need to change my ways and I need to start becoming hot for you or cold for you. Or maybe uh, you perhaps respond to it a little like I do when I, I read that. And I, I read, be committed. Be committed? Jesus, are you serious? I'm already overcommitted. I'm trying, to do so, I'm trying to do so much. I'm guessing that out here amongst us, no one here feels like they're functioning less than 90 to 110%. Uh, I, go, I go to a, a Bible college um, in, in my first year there. I've got some... 24-year-old friends there, and uh, some of them are, are struggling to get through their Hebrew homework because they're really busy computer gaming. And, and it's, it's really tough for them, you know, but that's not a problem here at Church by the Bridge, is it? Except for a few people. I know that there are some gamers here. But for most of us, that is not a problem. We are leading busy lives. We are busy people. We're committed. But are we busy doing the right things? Are we committed to the right things? Jesus does not want you to commit to more. He's advising you to be more committed to him. Jesus wants your wholehearted commitment. I've got to say on a personal note, this is a, a topic of conversation that comes up in our home almost every week. Uh, if you know me, uh, you know that I am essentially married to Laodicea. Uh, not in a bad way, but, but my beautiful wife is a um, successful business owner. Uh, she runs a business uh, in fashion design, so into textiles. Uh, and she enjoys good health. And she's got all three of the Laodicean snares. And, uh, and I, I've got to say that regretfully, I've made Bridget uh, feel like She's a little perhaps inadequate or um, feel bad about the career choice that she's made because I guess I've made her feel as if she's not serving God because she's not working in Christian ministry like I am. And God has been very patient with me and um, so is Bridget, extra, extra patient with me. Um, And I've since come to see that every single thing we do can be done in wholehearted, committed fellowship with Jesus. Everything we do. Now, what is it that Jesus asks of us? Let's read verse 20. Listen. Listen up. 
I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and have dinner with him and he with me. Jesus wants you to open the door of your life to him. Open every door to him. He wants to come in and do all of life with you. Jesus stands at the door of your workplace. And he wants to know if you will take him to work with you. If you will go to work serving Jesus so that he can help you work with integrity, with character and conviction, and that he can protect you from unjust gain. Jesus stands at the door and he wants to know if you will take him shopping. Uh, he will help shape your, your perspectives on what you really need and what you maybe don't need. He, he might even help you hold out the, the refreshing words of life to those friends you go shopping with. Jesus stands at the door and knocks and wants to know if he, you will take him to your exercise so that you and him can celebrate the wonderful gift of the body that he's given you and he can protect you from building your identity around your health. Essentially, Jesus just wants to do all of life with you. All of life. But did you notice that, that he invites himself in for a meal? And I, I, really, I really like this image because it can mean so many different things. Let's think about it for a minute. Sometimes, Jesus just wants to come in for a quiet meal alone with you. A quiet night in. Just you and Jesus doing takeaway on the couch. Just talking through life so he can minister to you, love you, speak words that build you up. Because you're in a difficult season and you just need him to bind you up. Sometimes, uh, the meal will, will be eating on the run, or, or a meal with friends. Like if you're, you're a man here at Church by the Bridge and you, you work in the city, John Best has sent an invitation to all men at Church by the Bridge who work in the city to meet together Thursday fort, on a Thursday fortnight and pray. A Jesus will be at that meal. And I hope if you are able that you will be there too to pray with your brothers. Sometimes... Doing meals with Jesus will mean missing food altogether. You're not going to eat. You're just going to feast on doing the will of the Father. John 4.34, that's what he says. I feast on the will. I, uh, my, work is to, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. It's a time where you're just going to give and give and give. And you're going to trust Jesus to meet your needs. You know, coming back to, to Bridget, my wife, I've come to realize that working in Christian ministry... Um, I spend a lot of my time holding out and handing around warm gospel water and cool, refreshing gospel water to other Christians. Um, but Bridge is in a world, uh, and she can hold out the life-giving, life-transforming, cool, refreshing, satisfying waters of the gospel to people I'll never reach as a Christian minister. Bridgie has access to those people like I will never get. And I work in an environment where people are paid to love me. That's their job, is to love me. Bridget works in an environment which is normal, 
uh, where people backbite and gossip, uh, where people compete with one another. Uh, that's where the real battle is taking place, in your workplace. And you just can't simply, you, you cannot afford to not be wholeheartedly committed to Jesus in your workplace. Uh, you need time in his word. You need maybe just to set your alarm 20 minutes earlier tomorrow so that you can get that time with him before you arrive at work. You need to be talking to him in prayer, maybe getting off a stop earlier on your commute and walking those last 15 minutes so that you can talk to him, find his strength, find his patience, his perspective, his priorities. If you want to take a memory verse into this week, why don't you take Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know what? What Jesus is asking of us will be very difficult. Doing all of life with him his way, it will be hard. But let's finish by turning our attention to what's in store for those who are willing to take up the challenge. Uh, let's finish by looking at Jesus' promise. His promise is that the victor will reign with him in glory. Uh, Jesus never apologized about asking a lot from you and me. And, and you know what? Why should he? Uh, Jesus has always been wholeheartedly committed to us, committed to the point of death, and he calls us to be the same. And what was it that he asked us to take up as we walk with him in this life? It was a cross. We take up the cross today so that we can take up the crown tomorrow. Let's read verse 21, his wonderful promise. To the victor, says Jesus, the conqueror, the overcomer, the fighter, I will give him and her the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also won the victory and sat down with my father on his throne. And the Christian life is so much more than just surviving to the end. The Christian life is about fighting the good fight of faith. It's a fight and you'll get tired. You'll get worn out. You'll fail. You, you'll, you'll get hurt. But you keep fighting. And it's war, isn't it? That's why Jesus uses those, those kind of language. The victor, the throne, the overcomer. The book of Revelation continues to go on and speak more about Jesus on his throne. Uh, why don't you just come with me to one last verse, just across the page in chapter 5, verse 6. Uh, this verse speaks about the risen Jesus. and uh, It's John's vision of him as he sits on the throne. <clears throat> John says, Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. It's a description of the reigning Lord Jesus. And, and I know it's picture language, but you do get the idea, don't you, that glory in heaven might look a little bit different to what we perhaps expect. And... Uh, <clears throat> so, 
my prayer that in response to what Jesus has had to say to us through this letter to Laodicea, my prayer is that church by the bridge will be standing around the throne in heaven 10,000 years from now, praising our God. We'll see the Apostle Paul beaten up, scars all over his back. We'll look across and we'll see the Vietnamese martyrs who we prayed for, reunited with their families, singing praises to their God. And my prayer is that Church by the Bridge will have stories to tell, stories to tell of endeavors undertaken in the name of Jesus, stories to tell of battles fought and won in the name of Jesus. Stories that of people who renounce self-sufficiency, who commit wholeheartedly to serving Jesus and give their absolute all in serving their King. Let's pray that that would be us 10,000 years from now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we long to hear from your mouth those wonderful words. Well done, good and faithful servant. We're sorry for our self-sufficiency and independency, independence from you. And we thank you that because you love us, you rebuke us, you discipline us. Please help us to be as wholeheartedly committed to doing life with you as you have been committed in giving your life for us. For your glory and for our good we pray. Amen.